Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is, of course, your weekly Monday X-Men podcast where I, Zach Jenkins, and my distinguished co-host, Adam Reck, we go through three X-Men stories and we put them on our list, our very long list, our ever-increasing list, our <laughs> infinite list of every X-Men story, where we're ranking them from best to worst X-Men stories of all time. Adam, how are you today? Yeah. I'm feeling sleazy like a sleazoid, Zach, because uh, today we're going to talk about some brood, and I don't think we've talked about the brood before, have we? I don't know if we have. Oh, no. We got it, because we did talk about uh, the, the Christmas that demon, Xmas demon, but that's not the brood. That's, uh, no, that's the Nagari. That's the, Nagari. the Nagari, other, the other xenomorph ripoffs. <laughs> Claire Monte. <laughs> yeah. There's multiple dude, ones, right? Dude really, really, really liked Alien. Dude saw that movie and said, this is great. I mean, if you go to, I think it's just the Wikipedia entry for, for Brood, Cockrum talks about designing the Brood and like saying that all the script said was draw like this disgusting alien and that that's what he came up with. I mean, I wonder how much guidance there was to make it seem more like hr geiger or something like that what, what do you think about that i mean it was in the popular zeitgeist of you know this is what an alien this is what general alien is because you didn't want it to be the 50s you know big-headed gray man anymore mm-hmm. you wanted it to be something different and geiger's aliens from aliens xenomorphs truly did feel otherworldly in a way that a lot of Things didn't because they didn't feel like men in rubber suits, even if yeah. Yeah, at some points they were. Yeah. Well, OK. So I know we rank X-Men, but, uh, you know, this is a controversy that I've seen pop up many places online. Um, and I, I guess I'm on the wrong side of history. Do you prefer Alien or Aliens? Here's my dirty secret. <gasps> I've seen three movies related to the Xenomorphs. Okay. I saw Alien versus Predator, which was not good. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen Aliens, which was very, very good. Yeah. And then when I was like seven, my dad rented Alien Resurrection and immediately regretted his decision. But he was already deep enough into the movie that he wanted to keep watching it. And I got my nightmares. Oh, my sister got it worse. She's a couple years younger than me. So funny. I actually he, like Alien Resurrection. I. It's I not remember, a great movie, but. I remember not enjoying <laughs> it at seven. <laughs> well, I can, can't imagine why. Uh, it's oh. not exactly a movie for seven-year-olds. Uh, I mean, so you've look, never seen. You've never seen Alien? It's, the 1979 it's like one? on my list of I should really watch this seminal movie. You should. Yeah. Just like everyone's got those. And don't tell me you don't. Don't tell me you don't have a list of classic movies that you've just – you've never seen. Everyone's got. And as long as it's not Star Wars, you're okay. (laughs) 
Yeah, there's always going to be uh, classics that I, that I haven't seen. You know, whenever one of these like best movies of all time lists come out, I smack myself in the head and go, why haven't I watched that yet? But um, I am always fascinated by, you know, like how the influence of Alien, you know, kind of worked its way into uh, the X-Men like this in a, in a very dramatic way. It is. And what's really dramatic, at least what I think is dramatic, is that Patreon supporter Bobby – no last name. I'm going to call him uh, Trevor Fitz. Bobby Trevor Fitz. Hmm. <laughs> uh, he suggested an X-Men story about these xenomorph-like aliens known as the Brood. And that is the Brood Saga. He yeah. did that by going over to patreon.com slash Files and pitching in as little as $2 a month to uh, get a, get an episode bespoke crafted around his particular brand of X-Men. Hmm. I appreciate that approach as opposed to, you know, impregnating us with, uh, you know, some sort of brood egg and waiting for us to turn into some nasty alien. That's a much better approach. It is. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what kind of voice boxes the brood have. And I get that my voice is not as silky, buttery smooth as some other podcast hosts on this podcast. But I think it would be worse Ooh. if I was an alien thing. Like if my <laughs> thorax and all of that was like made of chitin or whatever aliens and bugs are made out of instead of, you know, flesh and meat. You know what I will say, though, about and this is related. We can get started talking about this brood saga, but it is really amusing to me as I'm reading this that like the brood are so articulate. Like when they're doing experiments on Carol Danvers, it's like they're having these very sophisticated scientific conversations in perfect English. Um, and I don't, I don't believe there's a spot where it's like translated from the brood dialect. Like it's just like no, that's just how they talk. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, it's it's odd. I'm sure you could say, well, the Shi'ar gave the X Men these sort of translator things at some point, and just no prize it away. Uh, oh sure, it's oh, sure. We should stop talking um, about what we would be like as aliens and the alien mm. franchise and start talking about the brood after, what, six minutes of this garbage, garbage content well, that people do come here for. You do you do tune in for that garbage content, folks. Uh, but I will tell you, there is very little garbage content in this uh, this run. I mean, we get really some artistic powerhouses here. David Cockrum, Paul Smith, Bob Wyacek on inks. Um, th this is, you know, a classic X-Men run. Yeah. So uh, and particularly because the Brood Saga is something that is seeded for a little bit before it gets into full swing. We are talking about mm -hmm. Uncanny X-Men numbers 162 through 167. And that's what we're going to mm -hmm. call the Brood Saga because 161 is pretty much a standalone flashback that happens to take place right at the beginning of this. Yeah, and and we get a there's like a little couple pages there, but it really gets started with 162, which 162, wow, that's a powerhouse issue. Um, 162 you know, might be the best issue of the Brute Saga. 
Yeah, what a great issue of just Wolverine in this savage alien space, just doing what he does. The narration is, uh, it strikes me as a little bit similar to the Wolverine mini. It's very reductive, um, straight to the point, and Wolverine's just doing his thing. He's trying to survive. It's it's really classic, great Logan. Yeah, this is what good Wolverine writing looks like. It's way better than Snicked Bub, My Memories, Weapon X, Mariko. <laughs> well, we get a little Mariko in here, too. <laughs> we do get a little Mariko in here. And I like Mariko, all things considered. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Wolverine has a tendency to brood, mm-hmm. lowercase b, about whatever love interest he happens to have at the time. And yes. his claws, his mm-hmm. cursed metal adamantium claws. It's good. This is a fun. This is a fun set of issues. Uh, you mentioned it earlier, but the art in this, you know, we do halfway through this lose Dave Cockrum, who mm-hmm. Dave Cockrum's really good at drawing crazy sci-fi stuff. And like one of the biggest things he gets to do here is give Carol Danvers, current Captain Marvel, former Ms. Marvel, uh, a new look in a new codename as Binary, which mm. is, it definitely looks like. If I didn't know that this was supposed to be Carol Danvers, this could just be another member of the Shi'ar Imperial Guard, which speaks yeah. well to Dave Cockrum because it's a very Dave Cockrum look. It's cool. I like it. I like that her head is like just kind of a giant star, um, you know, really good high contrast look with the the red, white and black. Um, it's it's cool. I think it's yeah. neat. And then we get Paul Smith and where Cockrum could you know, he was still had half a foot in the silver, early Bronze Age comic stuff. Paul Cockrum has a very or bleh, Paul Smith. <laughs> Paul Smith has a very different look to it. His lines are so clean mm-hmm. and so crisp, and it is just absolutely gorgeous what he does with these characters. It's a lot of fun. And he he does a good job with a lot of the big character moments. So the big uh, the big plot plot point of this is that Wolverine wakes up. Everyone's been captured by aliens, but they've also been impregnated by aliens to turn into their new alien queen. Mm-hmm. And Wolverine keeps it secret that he's probably going to murder everyone if things go bad. Which uh, yeah. <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing. Cyclops is right there. And I feel like, well, maybe he doesn't want to tell Kitty Pride, hey, kid, I'm going to gut you. I'm going to stick you like a pig. <laughs> Cyclops is a reasonable enough dude that he could pull him aside and say, hey, hey, Slim, uh, you all may need to be murdered later. So let's let's watch out for that. There's some good conflict between the two of them. I think uh, Wolverine describes uh, Cyclops' decision-making as namby-pamby at some point here. I think I'm getting that right. Um, so, you know, there's some really fun interactions with them that are that are kind of hokey, um, that are that are very funny. Uh, I think it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the difference between Cockrum and Smith's art because that was something I really thought about as I'm reading this. There's a huge transition here between the two artists that almost transcend different time periods. I mean, it feels like we're going from the seventies right into the eighties. All of Smith's characters are so super fashionable. Um, and, uh, it, it brings a different feel to the story, uh, maybe a little less monstery and a little more cosmic in the way that, that he portrays things. Because 
uh, we were talking a little bit off air about this, but the, the resolution of this story is weird as all get out and involves Storm kind of becoming one with a space whale. And that somehow leads to the explosion and death of the Brood homeworld. Am I, I think I've got that right. The um, ending's a it's weird. <laughs> It's strange to say the least, and and everything sort of wraps up very neatly in one sixty six with binary tapping into a star. I I don't really know what happens, but it's weird. Sci fi, science, and X Men stuff happens, and the day saved. Yeah, yeah, and there's some really fun stuff along the way. You know, there's all there's some really um, great body horror things that happen in here. Um, there's some good monster movie stuff with with Kitty running away from the Brood. Uh, we get our first appearance of Lockheed, um, uh, who pops boy. up in here, which is great. And uh, I, I also have to give props to the last issue here, which is after we've resolved everything in space, there is this really fantastic issue with Paul Smith on art duties where um, the X-Men return home and get into it with the new mutants in the mansion. Because they've never and met. And there's such a – they've never met. The new mutants assume that they formed because the X-Men have died um, because, you know, it's 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 been this stretch of continuity where the X-Men have not been on Earth. And uh, Professor X turns into uh, the Brood Queen. And wow, like what a cool issue. Um, I like that one a lot. So there's a lot of really good things in here. I think it does go on for probably an extra issue you know, maybe somewhere in between 163 and 166, you probably could have lost an issue. But um, this is a really classic X-Men story. Yeah, it's fun. I like it a lot. It's not my favorite mm-hmm. of Claremont's stuff. I think there's a lot of stuff that I want to go to again. But look, mm-hmm. OK, Claremont 80s and 70s X-Men is still better than most X-Men Uh Yeah, and especially with these art teams, you know, like I especially like the this era with Paul Smith is really essential for me. I absolutely love the way he draws everybody. I love the way that we get the acting on the characters faces, um, the way they, the way they stand even just tells you so much about them. And uh, it's really good storytelling. So I I love my Paul Smith. I love my Paul Smith too, but I even think that there's better Paul Smith after this. Like, the yes, Wolverine absolutely. and Mariko wedding stuff is better than this. The uh, mm-hmm. uh, shoot, uh, the Morlock stuff is better than this. Like, there's yeah, there's still good to come. Like, this is from this beautiful era where X Men was firing on all cylinders. So even a small misstep, like maybe stretching this out, like maybe one sixty six didn't need to be a double issue. I was going to say that's part of the issue, too. I mean, even though it's beautifully rendered and it's done, I mean, it doesn't need to be a double size issue. It just, you know, it sort of contributes to the epicness of the of the storyline, I guess, if you want to say that. What What's crazy to me is the fact that such a small misstep like that just drops it below so many other things just because of how dense in quality Claremont and specifically – this early 80s stretch of Claremont was like mm-hmm. there's a five year stretch from like 80 to 85 where Claremont pretty much does no wrong and it's fabulous oh, absolutely yeah. fabulous yeah this is so good I, 
I guess the question is how high on our list does this go? Because I, you know, one of the things that surprised me in rereading this was I was like, oh, the Brood saga, saga, you know, I remember liking that. And I'm reading this and I'm like, this is really good. Like, I'm really enjoying this story and it, and it's just how weird it is and how good the art is. So, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was really good. Well, let's give let's give the listeners some grounding. Number one on yeah, our yeah. list is Days of Future Past. Mm-hmm. Number eighty seven on our list is X Men <sighs> Phoenix Legacy of Fire. Man, just here's the thing about <laughs> the worst things on your list. You got to keep bringing them up. Yeah, it's still bad. This is between those two, mm-hmm. which is a fair statement. Uh, <laughs> I don't think this is as good as Life Death. Okay. I think Life that, Death is better. That's interesting. Life Death 1 or Life Death 2? Because we, we ranked Life Death 2 at 13 and Life Death 1 at 14 on our list right now. I personally think it's better than Life Death 1. But okay. I'm, willing to, I'm willing to hear your argument. I think... Uh, here's where I'm, I'm coming from this. Or, wait, though. did I say we, better or worse? I meant worse. You think it's worse than Life Death... One. One. Okay. Here's my only issue with that. Um, We ranked mutant Genesis higher than life death at 11. I'm having a hard time saying that, that brood saga is worse than mutant Genesis. I mean, and maybe this is just a, a, you know, some buyer's remorse from ranking that higher than life death, but that was, you. that was all you. Yeah. Like I, I, (laughs) I really think that this is better than that. Um, this is one of those storylines that I think people go to, you know, as a what X-Men should I read? And, you know, people say, read Dark Phoenix Saga, read God Loves Man Kills, read the Brood Saga. If you want to get a good idea of what like classic X-Men is all about. Um, I don't know if that's like a testament to it's staying power or how it should rank on this list. But I find it difficult to put it below that Jim Lee relaunch. I, I think this is better than that. I hear this. you with the Barry Windsor Smith, you know, stuff being like these amazing standalones. Let me, let me posit this to you. Mm-hmm. I don't think that one-on-one that first issue of brood saga with, which is essentially a Wolverine solo. Yep. I don't think that that's better than Wounded Wolf. Pound for pound, I think Wounded Wolf is better. And I Mm -hmm. think Wounded Wolf gets in, does the same thing as that issue and gets out and tells a more concise story where Brood Saga is probably a bit too long. Mm, That's true. I can can definitely see the argument over like a Life Death 1 where, again, there's there's some issues where the – the Forge and Storm stuff in Life Death One is good, and the Rogue and Henry Peter Guyrich and Val Cooper stuff I don't care about. Mm-hmm. So to me, I think my ceiling is Wounded Wolf. I I hear you on Mutant Genesis, but I think you have to live with that Albatross. Well, then then I'll just own up to that. So why don't we put it at thirteen? Um, because I think that's a good comparison. You know, is is trying to put Wounded Wolf up against one sixty two, and Wounded Wolf wins out. So is Brood Saga our new thirteen? It is. And just to be clear, 
these are all really good stories. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We're just being picky because that's the whole point of the podcast, right? Yeah, that's that's the that's the uh, that's the gimmick. Uh, do you know what <laughs> else is a gimmick? Uh, please share. What's what? What else is a gimmick? When a character becomes pregnant, and oops, we don't know how this happened. <laughs> I believe that you're referring to our second storyline, which is Wolverine and the X-Men five to seven, uh, where Kitty pride becomes pregnant with microscopic brood. Yes. Um, It's official title is mutatus mutandus, which is Latin for made up thing. (laughs) Well, which is perfect because this is, Jason Aaron and uh, Nick Bradshaw on art. Um, any other credits that, that I'm missing here? Uh, do we want to talk about inks or colors? Or I mean, we can I don't mention know them that Justin Ponzer does really good colors, but Bradshaw does most of his own inks. Uh, there's yeah. uh, Walden Wong does some of them as well. I I don't think we've talked about Bradshaw yet, um, though. I think we've we've touched on Jason Aaron because of um, the dupe issue of Waxham, but uh, this. I, this was a pleasure to revisit. Um, yeah. You know, I think people really think highly of this uh, this this series in general, and I think this touches upon a couple of the reasons why. Um, the first being that we really do get a sense of this being a school and the students going to classes, um, which I love the idea of them going inside of toad's body to learn about the, <laughs> you know, the circulatory oh, yeah. system they, or whatever. They have an incredible voyage. Uh, exactly. Um, I love that idea. And I, I think that the whole um, storyline here with uh, professor Xanto Starblood coming to try and can either kill, destroy, maim, whatever little poor brew, because he's not an actual brood. He's a mutant brood. Um, it works pretty well here. I, I think it's got some really fun stuff going on. Xanto Starblood is so Jason Aaron that it hurts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He is um, such a so Jason Aaron operates on essentially one of two frequencies at any given time. He either operates on incredibly silly grindhouse stuff where Xanto mm-hmm. Starblood falls, or he operates on dark gritty stories about manliness which is mm-hmm. oddly enough where all of a lot of his thor stuff falls though that that kind yeah. of in the mighty thor stuff eclipses the gender side and more means more gets into terms of power and strength which are themes that hit a lot of you know are normally uh, used in masculine senses uh, but you know it's the same themes that hit in the rest of jason aaron's work but yeah, uh, I like this. I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'm not as hot on Wolverine and the X-Men as like everyone else in the world is. It's just it doesn't always do it for me. And I think I think what what it is, is I can't even put my finger on it. I really can't. I just don't always buy everything that's happening in it. Like it seems a bit silly to be silly. And while that's not always bad, it doesn't always work here for me i I, and we have not mentioned the b plot here which involves logan taking quentin choir off planet to a casino and robbing the place yeah that was weird (laughs) Um, because of a funding crisis which i i remember enjoying these storylines so much just because of how silly they were you know um 
this the series starts with uh, Chris Bacciolo on art, and then when Bradshaw takes over, it is a bit of a shift tonally. Um, but I feel like when Bradshaw takes over, the cartoony comic sensibility of it—you mentioned it being kind of silly—it um, really does allow it to stretch out a little bit. Um, I like this far more than maybe some of the other arcs, like the the weird circus arc. Oh, this is this is where, better than, you know, the, I think than the bad middle chunk of this uh, series. The like post. Yeah, there are some other. Yeah, there are definitely some stretches of this that are that are real mixed bag, but it starts very strong. And I, I think this arc is is pretty solid. Um, it's just it taps into that weird madcap quality about it that obviously, you know, is hit or miss. It is. Um, you know, some people really loved this and some people were kind of like, oh, is this X-Men? Yeah, like as this doesn't feel like X-Men. And I appreciate that not everything about X-Men is going to be what works for me. And not everything that works for mm-hmm. X Men for me is going to work for other people. I I can get that. This this just isn't you know at the top of my list. I will say Nick Bradshaw's art. He does a lot of good clean art. He's like a he's like a proto Art Adams. I yeah. I mean, obviously that's the the closest comparison art wise um, is to compare him to Art Adams. But I think he's extremely talented in his own right. Um, you know, he does things that Art Adams doesn't do, um, you know, in terms of the way that he uh, does his page layouts and, the, and his storytelling that um, are very unique to his work. I, I think he's extremely talented, especially the amount of detail that he puts in. It's still cartoony, but, um, you know, when you when you really look at the pages, uh, it, it's a lot of work. Oh, going yeah. Into yeah, that. absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, this is this Beautiful is a fun stuff. kind of inconsequential arc. I think it's I think it's good. It's not my favorite of Wolverine and the X Men, uh, but yeah. Where do you think it's going to go on our list? Where would you rank it? Um, you know, like you said, it, it's it's a fun, you know, kind of silly thing that doesn't have a, a tremendous am, amount of consequence. So, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of looking maybe in the. I'm looking down at like last will and testament of Charles Xavier, which is, you know, comes after this um, or, or maybe even lower than that, because, you know, while I like this and it's fun, um, it's not essential by any means. Um, it's just a really well done, uh, fun I think story. It's better than the so, stuff around uncanny X-Men 275, the Savage Land and Shi'ar stuff. I think this is mm-hmm. a stronger, stronger story, more rereadable than that. What I don't yeah. think it's better than is Astonishing Tales Mojo World at number fifty three. That's where okay. my where my gut's yeah. saying because while Astonishing Tales Mojo World mm-hmm. has some problematic elements to it, I think overall it's another fun wacky story, which that I think is yeah. good and definitely for a very specific fan, but isn't a be all end all X Men for everyone. Hmm. I think it's an interesting comparison. I I personally like this better. I think I would probably put it ahead of uh, the Dracula issue too, Um, you know, by my taste. But I really like, you know, obviously as an Art Adams fan, I also gravitate to Nick Bradshaw's artwork a lot. And I I did like Wolverine and the X-Men. I I can understand its flaws, but I enjoy reading this. I think it's fun. I think Brew is such a cool character and I, I wish... 
that uh, he got a little bit more daylight, I you think, know, because you don't really see people playing with well, him right now. I think the problem with Brew in general is that Jason Aaron didn't really play with him, all things considered. He's in, exactly. He gets yeah, thrown he's away. In two arcs essentially is in the background for a little bit while AVX is happening, but AVX kind of pulls away from the students of the Jean Grey school uh, to uh, deal with a crossover. And then Brew gets shot and spends the next mm-hmm. like four or five arcs being savage and not being the character that you got to know initially. Exactly. And then it comes back and yeah. he's the same character that he was in issue one. Like I, I know, especially in this mm-hmm. arc, Aaron tries to add some fears and some, you know, desires to brew, and I think that's very good. But I don't think there's, I don't think there's much you can do with that because the the thing is okay, brew can't go savage and has to avoid that. Okay, but brew's not someone who's putting himself in those situations to begin with. Like that's not a that's not tension that mm-hmm. you're going to see like. Rogue, for example, Rogue can't touch anyone, but Rogue is thirsty, like especially mm-hmm. when Gambit shows up. <laughs> that's tension. That's tension that's that fair. I can believe, and that's you know tensions and fears and all this stuff that okay, I get. Brew, it's Brew. You can't eat yeah, people, I, and he says, "Got it. Wasn't on my agenda, but I appreciate the concern." <laughs> see, I can see Brew as being. Um, you know, another beast, um, on a team, you know, because they set him up as like, you know, this super smart character who is also extremely interested in science and experimentation. And I, I think there's a lot to be done with that, you know, like it, it could be a cool super scientist who's self-experimenting and, um, you know, maybe making some mistakes and evolving in some different ways. I think there is stuff you could do with him, but you're absolutely right that he gets sidelined, um, you know, because the potential that's set up here doesn't really get capitalized on. All right. I'm sorry. We got totally side uh, step from the, from we the did, actual ranking. So um, you, all right. So you wanted to put it at 54. I think I would probably put it at 52. Um, how high are you willing to go? I think it's fair. Because I, I can see the argument that this is better than that Dracula issue. But I surprisingly okay. do like Wolverine snicked a lot. <laughs> I do too. I do too. So I don't think I would Man, go higher. That was that Wolverine snicked. I think half of it is because it's the only saving grace of that terrible episode. <laughs> that's a fun. That's a fun uh, series, though. People should check that out. I It yeah. still surprised me, you know? All right, so we're we're saying 52. 52. Man, that's always fun. Is Wolverine and the X-Men numbers 5 through 7, Mutatus Mutandus, which is not made up Latin. It's real Latin that means – that is used when comparing two or more cases or situations, making necessary alterations while not affecting what the main point at issue is. So essentially saying like, hey, these are the Hmm. same in this particular circumstance – don't be pedantic and say, well, they're actually different because of this, this, and this, because that's not what we're talking about. Which is completely unusable because no one else knows what it means, but is a very, like, that's a very powerful thing. I'm just pretending I'm understanding what you're saying. <laughs> like, it's All essentially right. saying, oh, well, you want to tell them uh, what our third story oh, yeah, is? Yeah, here? we got another story. We got another story. Yeah. So, as we record this, in a week, 
I will be traveling down to Narlins, which I don't think people talk like that. That was a very bad Cajun accent. I wasn't even trying. I think I sounded like someone who, I don't know, was doing a bad accent, but not a very descriptive one. Narlins. I don't know. I'm not even going to try because maybe maybe someone who is from Cajun country is listening and would not be thrilled with us butchering this as Claremont does when he writes Gambit in X-Men and Ghost Rider <laughs> Brood Trouble in the Big Easy. Claremont didn't write this. I'm wow. sorry, the accents were wow, just wow, so wow. bad I assumed he did. <laughs> <laughs> I believe we've got Scott Lobdell? And Jim Lee. Yeah, okay. And Howard Mackey. Yeah. And on yeah. Art, art duties, we got Jim Lee doing the X-Men stuff. We got Howard Mackey doing the Ghost Rider stuff. And these are some these are some weird issues. Now, it's X-Men 8 and 9 and Ghost Rider Volume 3, 26 and 27. I know X-Men 8 is of specific importance to one Arthur Stacy and or oh, Adam Rack. I I hope that you know, X-Men 8, it really should stand out as the glowing example of this this Jim Lee run because I love this issue. Um, it really, for the large part, has nothing to do with the rest of the story, um, Brood Trouble and Big Easy, um, which involves the Thieves Guild and the, the Assassin's, Assassin's Guild, Guild and the Brood... Um, and guess, Ghost Rider! Yes, and, and Ghost the Rider 90s and the- Ghost Rider Danny Ketch. <laughs> yeah, with his like badass black uh, motorcycle, um, which is great. Uh, but issue eight as a standalone, um, which involves Bishop being introduced to uh, some of his biggest fanboy crushes, uh, the X-Men, and finally revealing like some of the backstory here about the betrayal uh, that may have led to the death of all the X-Men and Jubilee being the last X-Men. Not to mention this bit with the pie. Oh, um, yeah. we You didn't even mention Rogue and Gambit going on a nice picnic and then Gambit gets pissy with uh, Bishop and charges a pie and throws it at him. Oh, wow. Like, this is so great. And, um, you know, this is just prime example of really fun X-Men stuff that I really enjoy. And I don't know. I just I, I really like it. it. It doesn't have a lot to do with the rest of the storyline. Um, the rest of the storyline is came, nuts. Oh, it is absolutely bonkers. Because um, we go then into to Ghost Rider and there's this weird sort of venom thing going around killing all of gambit's pals uh and then we get the brood the brood has also managed to infest everybody so we also meet gambit's stuff. wife belladonna belladonna mm. or mm. Ugh, Bob belladonna. yeah of the Thieves guild the Thieves guild <laughs> she all, all, all everybody wears these like weird uh body stocking metal plate deals i the Thieves guild I, I and the assassin's say, guild are just None of it makes what sense. This? None of no. it makes sense to do the jobs that are in your names. You're both bad thieves and bad assassins, and I don't care that Caldara is, you know, <laughs> trying to give favor to one of you. You should all be really checking yourselves because you will, in fact, wreck yourselves. 
Oh my goodness. I've always been just absolutely confused and, and maybe even mortified by like, what the heck is this conflict supposed to be? And I know it's integral to Gambit's backstory, but it just, I don't know. It does not click for me. I have never it understood it. Um, it's every time, every time no. you go to Gambit's backstory, it's worse. It's like his first miniseries mm-hmm. is okay, and everything past that is just ugh. Yeah, can he just be a guy in body armor, a head sock, uh, an overcoat with a staff, and charging cards that steals stuff from people? Like that's enough, yeah. right? Uh, you know, like does it need to have this? Or you know, this crazy backstory? Anyway, um, so I think. You said this before we went on air, and I also wrote it in my notes, that this does feel very much like a real good distillation of the animated Yeah, this is series. a Saturday morning cartoon. Um, do you... This is what it is. That first issue, yeah. X-Men 8, is good, yep. does some nice X-Men character drama. The rest of this garbage comic is just – it's straight up we're going to have big fights, very little in terms of plot that makes sense. The brood are just going to be monsters. We're going to have Ghost Rider come in because he is very cool. And anyone who tells you otherwise is lying. He is a biker man with a flaming skull. He is objectively really cool. <laughs> but like this is this is just this is just a cartoon. And it's a lot of fun, but it is yeah. a cartoon. Well, especially X-Men 9 is you know, just the connective tissue between uh, Ghost Rider 26 and 27. It's just, you know, a full issue of let's hit stuff, you know, or let's try and rescue these very nondescript characters while we continue to hit stuff and give an excuse for Wolverine and Ghost Rider to go at it. Um, But you're right. Like, there's not a lot there there. Um, And the conclusion of this... uh, uh, involves Ghost Rider ripping the skeleton out of a queen brood. Um, you know, it, it's just pretty over the top. And shouldn't they have exoskeletons? Like, let's be, let's look at the brood physiologically. They do not. They shouldn't have internal. I, bones. I thought something similar, but if you go back to the brood saga, there is a a panel I think where Kitty may see some brood skeletons um, somewhere along the line. Uh, so. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying there's not. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Uh, no, it shouldn't happen. Is what I'm saying. It's, I don't think they designed That's these okay. characters very That's okay. well. Um, you know what? What this reminded me of a little yes. bit. I, I was talking to someone online uh, about Monsters Unleashed, which is the quote-unquote new Fantastic Four from uh, Walter Simonson and Art Adams, which involves Hulk, Wolverine, Ghost Rider. And um, oh, I'm blank. Oh, and Spider Man, and uh, yes, Peter Parker. He's very I, famous. I, I Have you heard him. of him? Some people want <laughs> pictures of him on the break. Um, some people even pay for the privilege. Uh, but you know, I, I think the inclination in this conversation was, oh, I've never read that because oh, that's just like a '90s cash grab. And I was like, no, you got to read it. Like it's an amazing story, and you know, maybe we'll rank that at some point. But this. It is that, you know, like this is clearly a 90s 
crossover cash grab that I'm surprised didn't involve like, you know, I think the Ghost Rider one was like a glow in the dark cover or something like that. I remember. Um, is that I what think it 25 was? was? Yeah, I 25. I'm pretty I'm, I'm going to look this up right now because it's, it's kind I of definitely awesome. remember also in this era going to the comic book store and buying packs of Ghost Rider cards and the specialty cards were not holograms. They were glow in the dark cards because like I guess being in the dark was cool. Um, <laughs> but this story feels like that, you know, like it, it's like here we go. Here's an excuse for two characters to beat on each other. And there are still some fun moments like Jubilee makes a new warriors joke. Um, there's a good bit with beast talking about Jubilee not being covered by the X insurance, which brings up a host of questions um, about. The ins- oh, how Charles Xavier takes out a lot of <laughs> yeah, life insurance. policies. That there's insurance, which I think is a joke we've stolen and used on oh, this show. I mean, it does bring previously. up some really interesting questions about uh, health coverage and things like that. And why wouldn't Jubilee be covered by them? But okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, end of the day, we don't really learn a lot and everybody just beats on each other. And, and you know, there's no consequences that come out of it. There's some cool art. Um, it's not, you know, it is. We, we should rank this, by the way, if you're yelling at your phone, it's Ghost Rider 15 that has the ah, awesome glow in the dark okay. uh, cover. Very cool. I knew it was it was some sort of round number. Round adjacent. <laughs> All right. Where do we rank this? I'm going to th- say this is better than X-Men 10 and 11, the Mojo 2, the obligatory sequel. Yeah, Wizard Jim Lee's still in it. Scott Williams is still in it. Um, you know, they're doing some some high quality Lee and, and Williams stuff there. Um, but there's not a lot of substance here. Um, I Yeah. The, and that story's at 77 right now, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. So I, I am looking – lower than that is this better than i don't know silver age x-men number one maybe is it better than another saturday morning cartoon thing that we said at number 70 phalanx covenant the wolverine and cable ones final x sanction or something Mm. final sanction I think it, yeah, I think it's better than Final Sanction. I mean, you're right though. Final Sanction is a good comparison because that was just like, let's go and blow stuff up. Um, is it better than Spidey and the X Men number one and two? Saren wants to cure, can't cure cancer. He just wants to turn everybody into dinosaurs. <laughs> um, how high are we going here? Objectively? Yeah. No. No. Okay. Well, then I think we found our. In, in my heart? Also, no. <laughs> Well, then we found where it goes on the list, I think. I think we have. This will be the new number 70 on our list. X-Men slash Ghost Rider. Brood Trouble in the Big Easy. Nice. And that was that was both a big episode and an easy episode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, this has been Battle of the Atom. Uh, you'll survive your experience in the future. But until then, this entire episode was brought to you by bobby fake name whose name i completely forgot at this point i've just been riffing for like 40 minutes since then guys i don't keep track of a lot of my goofs uh but thank you bobby i legit appreciate your support if you want to be just like bobby if you want to be just like him or any of our other patreon supporters who are all fabulous humans or at least fabulous robots with bank accounts i can never be sure and i don't want to judge uh, you can go over to patreon.com slash files and pitch in as much as you want or as little as you want. At the $2 a month level, though, you get a reward where we will craft an entire episode of this here podcast 
around one of your suggestions. We have some very interesting ones coming up in the near future. Mm -hmm. So, you know, get those in because we got a lot of them. And if you want yours to be done sometime soon, I mean, that might be a good good place to just get in early. Uh, Everything else, Xavier Files, is at XavierFiles.com. That's where I do weekly articles about different X-Men characters. Also has all the latest in X-Men news. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Xavier Files. And another plug, the Xavier Files zine has been out for a little while now. I probably still have physical copies, but the digital copy will always be available and always be for $0. So you can always go and get that at links that you can find around town or on social media stuff. Hey, Adam, where can people find you online? Guys, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy and new pages of Bishon Jubes are coming out on a weekly basis on Mondays at adamrec.tumblr.com. So check those out. Good, good, good. Well, next week, we go into space, question mark, space. or maybe some other dimensions in some cases, as we talk about three X-Men stories that involve alien cultures and the X-Men just kind of going to them and doing interesting stuff. But <laughs> until then, this has been Bow the Atom, and we hope you survived the experience. Get it!